please stand for the reading of the word from Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, like his, we will certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's good to see you here, uh, whether you are in the room or online following along, uh, we're grateful to have your presence. Before we jump into the sermon today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn your Bible there. Before we jump into the sermon today, I want you to kind of have like a gut check theological moment. Um, does the cosmos, does the universe have one level, one story, or does it have two? Is there one level to the cosmos, or are there two? Now, let me unpack that for a minute, so let me tell you what I mean. What I mean by that is, on, on some level, does God live in kind of the upper story of the cosmos, and just occasionally come downstairs to interact with us, who lives on the bottom level, or is there just one level? Now, I don't want you to think about this theologically, I preached this in, in first service, and someone came up to me and said, well, actually, if you read the Deuteronomistic history, there's three levels to that. And I'm not talking about that. Is God's presence experienced and felt in a one-story cosmos or a two-story cosmos? Because in that two-level world, that two-story world, that God is up high and we're down low. God only bothers us a little bit, and, and when we die, we get to go up to the God's floor. And in some ways, this is confirmed by Scripture itself. I mean, we use the language of, of Christ emptying himself and coming to earth. We talk about the, the transfiguration when Jesus rises up into the clouds. There is a sense in which Scripture itself kind of uses metaphors that give us the illusion that there are kind of two stories in the cosmos. And most of us, I think we grew up with that two-story view, that God is distant, God is uninterested in the world. This is confirmed in a lot of ways by our culture. Um, it's kind of an old movie, but there was this great Robin Williams uh, movie called What Dreams May Come. It was beautiful in its imagery, and it, and it talked about life after death and what heaven looks like, and it kind of did this Dante's Inferno thing of what hell looked like. It was visually fascinating. But there's this one moment in that movie, the first time I saw it, I, I literally wanted to take my shoe off and throw it at the screen because it asked the question, where is God? They're in heaven, and someone asked the question, where is God? And the answer was, well, up there somewhere, sending his love down on us. Even in heaven, God is distant. It's no wonder that we might live with this kind of two-story world. But I love in Richard's book what he calls that two-story cosmos. 
thinking of the world that way, is what that really is, is Christian atheism. Because you believe God's there, but not really, doesn't care. Or distant, away. And I think in some ways this is reflected when we think about the sacraments. Now when I'm talking about the sacraments, I'm talking about our experience of baptism. And I'm talking about the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in just a minute. Uh, the experience of sacraments. Sacraments is kind of like this, this holy wonder. It's this place where God offers grace to us. And we can kind of have this platonic understanding of sacraments that what we do here is just bread and cup. What we do here is, is equivalent of taking a bath. But what's happening spiritually on another plane is something else. This is particularly true for us that grew up in the churches of Christ. There was this man named Zwingli. He was Swiss. And he really brought this to bear that what you eat is a symbol. It's a representation. It matters how you define the word is. It matters what you think the word is, is. When Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, Zwingli thought that is meant signifies. This signifies my body broken for you. But that's not actually what is means, right? I mean, he would say, there's nothing special happening here. No hocus pocus that happens right now. And this made the Lord's Supper more palatable for a disenchanted age. Because we don't have to believe that anything's actually happening. I mean, it's just hocus pocus. Do you know the etymology of the term hocus pocus? It comes from Latin. Like, I mean, we use it to, to wave our hand over the hat when the bunny is about to come out. We do it when we're going to shake our wand to make the person reappear. Hocus pocus actually comes from Latin, hoc est corpus meum, which is translated, this is my body. That in the moment of the mass, when the priest was saying those words, something happened. They didn't understand what it was, didn't understand what was going on, but something was changing. And the people who often didn't understand Latin thought, hocus pocus, it's, it's magic. I mean, this happens not only in the Lord's Supper, but it also happens in baptism. We call baptism the outward symbol of an inward change. Nothing really happens when you go under the water. And we're going to limit everything that happens in our experience of baptism by, by adding the limiting the word, we're using, let me start over. By, lim, by using the limited phrase, just. It's just a dunk. It's just water. It's just crackers. But when our eyes are opened, when we're paying attention to what happens at the edge of our vision, when we have trained our hearts to be aware of the movement and the work of God, what we realize is actually happening when we meet Christ in the waters, when we experience the Eucharist together is a heavenly mystery. Now there's a difference between mystery and and magic. I, and I loved how David Sessions said this, so I'm going to steal it from him. When we talk about mystery, when we're talking about divine mystery, that doesn't just mean we're going to punt. Well, nobody can really understand it, so let's not bother talking about it. Rather, what that is, it's an infinitely knowable because it is infinitely complex. 
And what we mean by that is as you experience sacrament, as you experience heavenly mystery, you are diving deeper and deeper into a well with which you will never touch the bottom. That doesn't mean that you can't learn, grow, and experience more about what does it mean to come into contact with God. It just never means you're going to run out of stuff to learn. When, when Paul talks about baptism, the only way he can talk about it is using the metaphors of death. And you heard the scripture read just a moment ago. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Before we come to Christ, we are slaves. We are slaves. We're slaves to the power of sin. We're slaves to one sort of spiritual master or another. Have you ever known someone that's in a bad relationship and they know it too? They know they're in a bad circumstance. Maybe you've been there. You know, it's, 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 they can't give it up even though it's toxic and harmful. And the reason that they can't give it up and it continues to hurt them is because the brokenness within them kind of fits like a gear in the brokenness of the relationship. And so you kind of have this downward spiral where brokenness creates brokenness. It's a repeating cycle. And it gives the semblance of love. It gives the semblance of care or the semblance of covenant, but it's not. It appears to give freedom, but it's actually slavery. I mean, it appears to give freedom in the same way that I appear to give freedom to my boys when I ask them what they want me to cook them for breakfast. Because I say, would you like to have cereal or eggs? Freedom. Choice. Cereal, eggs. Don't ask dad to make anything else. It shows up in the same way when I'm responsible for lunch. You can choose chicken nuggets or you can choose peanut butter and jelly. You have self-determination, five-year-old son. You have autonomy, three-year-old boy. And here's how you know when you're in a relationship that looks like freedom, but it's actually slavery. You know it's actually slavery when you begin to ask what real love looks like. Not please me so that I can feel good about my self-love. Not I need you to remain broken so I can perpetually rescue you, love. Ask for what real love looks like and see what happens. See how much there is resistance in that relationship to heal itself. It's not that you are in love, it's that you are a slave. As Tim Keller says, until you get rid of that illusion, you will never be able to make the changes that you need to in your life. You need to acknowledge exactly where you are. Michelle Gall tells a story about goldfish. And I actually had goldfish when I was growing up. They were in this little bowl. It was like 10 inches across, like yay. And, and my, uh, 
that was a defining term, yay. Um, my, my mom had this like macrame hanger that hung from the ceiling and the bowls were, the, the fish were in there, it hung there. I like to spin it, the fish didn't like to do that. I, I was responsible for cleaning the bowl. I didn't love to clean it, so that water was very murky. You occasionally could see the fish as they swam to the edge of the bowl. And all those goldfish did would go round and around in that bowl. That was their entire life, was swimming in these tiny, tiny little circles in that bowl. Well, if you take a goldfish, Michelle Gall will tell you, that has lived its entire life in one of those tiny little bowls, and you pour it into the bathtub, or you give it a bigger aquarium, or you dump it into a pond, the goldfish will continue to swim in that little tiny circle over and over and over. Accordingly, she says... These fish are misnamed. They're not really goldfish at all. They're more aptly described as sold fish. Do what you're told, fish. Fit into this mold fish. Put your talents on hold fish. They are bought and sold, and they accept it. And some of them even like it. And this is what Jesus did. He gave his life for us. So that we could experience freedom through love. It's one thing to be in love. It's another thing to commit yourself wholly and totally to another person. That's what the ring does. That's how the ring changes us. It's one thing to feel Twitter pated and emotionally on the clouds. It's another thing to make a covenant. Jesus' death made a covenant with us. And what we experience in baptism is the death of ourselves. I used to think that there was a part of me that was sinful, and that's the part of me that had to die. Because by default, what I'm saying is there's some sort of unsinful self that was not, that didn't have to die. It's not like your baptism is a gallbladder surgery. It doesn't just remove the tumor. Every part of you is subject to the power of sin and death, and every part of you must be resurrected through Jesus Christ. Y'all, I'm spitting fire, and this room is dead. I need to hear an amen. (laughs) What Christ wants to do is beyond our imagination. Through baptism, we are made into a place where God can have a dwelling. What happens in in baptism is God decides that your soul, your self, your body is the place that he wants to live. And i got to tell you the truth, God does not want to live in a tenement building. God does not want to live in a shack. God wants to create in you a place of beauty. God wants to create in you a palace. God wants to create in you a place that is holy and pure. Set aside the only place where God would want to live in the universe is you. And our baptism, our Eucharist, the experience of the table, is a participation in the heavenly mystery. It's not incomprehensible but infinitely knowable. It's the place, it's one of those places that we experience the one-story world. God is not out there smiling down. God is here, meeting us in the water, present in the bread and the cup. And every bread and cup, not, not just this one, And God is also present with each other. Communion is one of those moments we use to experience the presence of God. And one of the ways we do that is through our reflective creativity. Your reflective creativity. Your ability to reflect on the past, 
and imagine a future that God desires. And so that's what I, I want you to do today. I want you to give yourself permission to lean into the mystery as we take communion. I want you to give yourself permission to experience the healing and life-changing power of God in these elements. I want you to give yourself permission to greet Christ here at this table. It was a, a few weeks ago that our church hosted uh, a sacrament summit. Jeff, can you bring me that, please? Uh, a few minutes, a few mo weeks ago, we experienced a sacrament summit. It was a bunch of folk from Abilene, uh, in a Highland rather, thinking about what does table mean and thinking what, about what baptism means. And there was a lot of really smart people who, who came and kind of thought for us and leaded us in discussion. But there was this one moment where one presenter got up, stood up and said, the sacraments that we celebrate are the Lord's Supper and baptism and church, which was kind of different for me. Church is a place where we experience God's grace together. Church, being together, being the body of Christ, is one of those places where God is especially present. It's what we do together. We talk about, uh, C.S. Lewis rather, talks about deeper magic. It's the, it's the, it's the basement of, of God's will and function. And I believe that that deeper magic can cut through the secularism of our day, can set us free from the slavery of sin. Because the secularism of our day is going to tell you if you are skinny, if you are influential, and if you are effortlessly cool, you belong. Secularism of our day will tell us if you are rich and funny, if you are naturally beautiful, you belong. Our culture today will tell us if you have access to power or to prestige or political influence, then you belong. But the deeper magic of the gospel, of who we are when we are together, is that that life within us has died and Christ has replaced it. It is Christ that makes us belong. This people, this cup, and this bread teach us, transform us, and remind us the truth that in Christ, you belong. The sacraments make the holy local. Sacraments make transcendence livable. So let me pray for just a moment over the Eucharist that we're about to share. Father God, we give you thanks for the bread in the cup. We give you thanks for the way that it transforms our lives. We give you thanks for the way that it makes us new. And as we together gather, we proclaim you as Lord, that you are our King, that you have set us free, and that you have chosen to dwell your divine, holy presence in our bodies and our hearts. So, Father, as we remember the sacrifice of your Son, make us holy. Make us new. And it is through your Son we pray. Amen. Church, this is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. This is the blood of Christ, which was poured out. one last update before we're dismissed today. Uh, one of the things Highland deeply values is for us to know one another 
and to grow in our relationship with God. And our adult Bible classes have been one of the ways that we have used as a tool for those two uh, strategies to be achieved. Uh, this summer, we're going to try something a little new with our adult Bible classes, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. What we're going to do uh, this summer, we're calling electives. Now, it begins uh, January, excuse me, June 10th. And basically what it's going to be is, is just like middle school, when you had to choose between woodshop or home ec or uh, band or playing in the gym. Uh, you're going to come to the building at 10 o'clock and meet in the atrium, and you're going to hear about an offering of classes. Now, some classes will go for one week, some classes will go for three weeks, some will fit somewhere in between those things, which if you're doing your math is two weeks. Uh, you're just going to have the opportunity to go to the class that seems the most interesting. That way, if you're traveling and you can only come a few times this summer, you're not going to miss out on anything. It's also going to give you the chance to meet some people that you normally wouldn't have met uh, if you just went to your, your regular Bible class. So if you've never been a part of an adult Bible class before, I want you to come this Sunday or this uh, summer, uh, beginning June 10th, and uh, check it out and see what happens, see who you meet, see what God can do in your life when we allow ourselves to put in a posture where we get to know somebody else and grow in our relationship with God. Will you please stand for our, our benediction? May the presence of God be with you this week. May you have the courage to be a bold disciple of Jesus. May the Spirit comfort you, and may you go in peace.